Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Jimmy Grant, and Jimmy goes by the name Rose Drive, where he's an electronic music producer and DJ who has performed in London, Las Vegas, Tokyo, New York, Toronto, San Francisco, Singapore, as well as over 60 other cities in the United States and Canada. And in addition to that, he also started the Art of You podcast, which is a podcast to help people understand their purpose and their relationship to the world. It's a podcast I've also been a guest on myself. So I really enjoyed how Jimmy broke down how he went about booking these tours and how he made his way and made his name as a DJ. This was a really fascinating episode also because you got to look into Jimmy's perspective where Jimmy 1.0 existed before the quarantine and Jimmy 2.0 existed during and after. So overall, this was an incredible episode for anyone interested in personal growth, in becoming the highest version of themselves. And without further ado... This is my episode and conversation with Jimmy Grant. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Let's just dive right into the music aspect of it because this is how I really started diving into your stuff and when did you start making music and how did that come to be? Um, it came uh, to be in a rather roundabout way. I had a very um, a very transitional and um, kind of like a unpredictable moment happen. Um, basically, I was a freshman at the Naval Academy and my whole life I had been an athlete, played uh, baseball, football, ice hockey, basketball uh, growing up my whole life I had ad- I had identified myself as an athlete and I I go to the Naval Academy went to a year of prep school where I did well on the baseball team at the Naval Academy prep school and had some momentum so the coaches knew about me and stuff but I wasn't like a recruited um, athlete for the baseball team um, long story short got cut from the baseball team before the actual spring season started and at the same time you know, like in the locker room, some of the other guys um, uh, on the baseball team were playing Swedish House Mafia and Alesso and like all these Swedish um, DJs I really liked and some Dutch DJs that I really liked. And these melodies I was hearing, I was just like, man, I've never heard stuff like this. Um, you know, I, I knew like uh, levels by Avicii and, um, you know, my roommate in high and um, my first roommate um, freshman year of college, he was really into EDM just by, you know, kind of the, like the luck, like I didn't even get to choose my roommates in college. They, they, they assigned it for us and he was super into it. He was always watching videos on YouTube, like DJs playing at ultra music fest in Miami tomorrow. I'm like, what is this stuff? Like, I did not know what it was. And, you know, right at the time I got cut from the baseball team, I was like, okay, I kind of need like a new thing to really get obsessed with. I always identify myself as an athlete. So I, you know, bought my own mixing board, just like a cheap little $80 one and started, you know, 
figuring out how to like fade out of tracks in and out of tracks and looking back, I was absolutely awful when I first started. I had no idea what I was doing. And from what there, year is this for context? This is uh fall, fall, winter t- 2012 into, wow. um, into spring 2013 is when this is really kind of starting to percolate and like become, a, you know, thoughts in my mind that I want to pursue music as a hobby. And mm. then I buy, you know, some different production softwares, go through YouTube tutorials, start teaching myself here and there. And keep in mind, I'm at the Naval Academy where that's not like a place where they're promoting this like creative stuff. Like you're supposed to, um, you know, follow, <laughs> you're like we're only allowed to leave campus uh, on the weekends, like that freshman year from like noon until midnight. And maybe sometimes we're allowed to leave Saturday night, not much free time. And I just got super into this music and in the little free time I had, I slowly but surely kind of, you know, taught myself some different things with music theory. I still don't even to this day, seven, eight years later, have the music terminology down. Like someone who has been classically trained It's kind of like a do it yourself guy the whole Mm -hmm. way through. And I built, I just kind of built that sound up over the course of two or three years um, where I didn't really tell anybody and Mm. maybe like two or three close friends, everybody just knew like, yeah, Jimmy's like super in EDM music. Like it's kind of weird, whatever. (laughs) And it wasn't until my senior year at the Academy where I had an opportunity to play um, at this big event called rally in the alley in Baltimore at power plant live. And I basically just cold emailed the people that run it. I'm like, Hey, I'm a DJ would love to come play, sent them a demo mix. They loved it, made it happen. And, you know, word kind of got out on campus from that. And I was like kind of helping promote it, uh, getting people to come and support. And after that, the the cat was kind of out of the bag and people found out. And from there it just, yeah, like that, that was kind of like the, the first event that kind of kickstarted where everybody actually knew me. Um, as a DJ, like, you know, performing at venues and stuff. Yeah. And it's so crazy because people might see you performing live in 2018, 2019. I'm not sure exactly what year you first started, but that is a culmination of seven years of work. And it's like, if someone were to say, oh, wow, Jimmy's performing in Tokyo, he's going to New York, he's going all over the place. But yeah. it, it was actually the result of all that work. But Going back to when you were first starting, did yeah. you feel a sense of like, ah, I'm different because I like doing this or like in a, a negative way? And did that hold you back at any point? That feeling of like, I don't fit in because everyone else is doing Navy stuff and I'm creative and that. And how did you balance that and juggle those two? Um, I think my whole life I've really enjoyed being different and standing out. So it was almost like, um, I, I really liked it. I liked how it could kind of make me different amongst everybody who's kind of, you know, um, you know, there's some people training for Navy SEALs. There are, um, you know, everybody's in pretty good shape there, physically fit. And, um, you know, I love to work out too, but this was kind of my, my thing that I could kind of, um, go into my own little world where there's so much, um, regimented and like guided schedule for us where we didn't have that much opportunity to, um, you know, socialize and go out and do as much as like the regular college kid. But this was kind of my little thing where, you know, um, 
in my little room, my little dorm room with like two or two or three other roommates where it's like a box, literally smaller than the room that I'm in right now. And, um, I could just throw some headphones in and learn about music. I could listen to and, uh, hear what, hear what songs like the famous DJs are playing. And it would, I would forget about where I was. And it was, it was like a, it was an escape. Um, that, yeah, I'm really thankful for how it all kind of just naturally unfolded and how I discovered it. Um, yeah, EDM music wasn't, it wasn't on my radar and, and like no one in my family, uh, is a musician or anything. It's just something I got super into and passionate about it. It gave me a whole different type of energy. No other genre of music had and no other activity had, um, you know, in my whole life. So how do you then translate that to, you know, this is just a hobby of yours that you're focusing in on. How do you then go from that to then touring all over the world? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. um, Basically, I think I've thought about this and how to succinctly answer it in kind of one, one, uh, like in a couple of sentences, but it's really hard. Um, basically I keep asking, I kept asking myself, I wonder if I could pull this off. I wonder if I could play at this venue. Um, it was like, Hey, that, that looks really fun playing at that big nightclub. That looks really fun playing here. Um, you know, it was like, go out, create opportunities that might not be like sexy on the surface, like go be the opening DJ at a nightclub when no one is actually there yet, mm. you know, went over the GMs, went over the, the nightclub owners and the promoters, show them you're a good person, show them that they, that, you know, they can rely on you to show up on time to deliver a good set that you have a good, good mixing ability, crush that a few times. And from there, you know, they give you an opportunity to be the headliner. Well, um, you know, I, I went to college in Maryland then uh, after I graduated, I moved out to San Diego. So while I was at the Naval Academy, I had performed in Washington, D.C., at Towson University, at different like fraternity events, but college bars, nightclubs, um, you know, Echo Stage in Washington, D.C. I got to open for and close for Wolfgang Gartner and Benny Benassi, who are um, some of the, like all time greats for the EDM scene. They've been around for like 20 years. Um, and then I even popped up and uh, played a show in Philly. Um, the night after the army Navy game, my senior year and like a bunch of my classmates came out. So that was pretty cool. And so going out to San Diego, I had a lot of like social proof, like here's a flyer of me playing in Washington, DC. Here's a flyer playing at this big night, you, you know, New Year's Eve event in Baltimore. I played in Philly. Then when I moved out to San Diego, it's like, okay, this guy's like kind of played all over the East coast. So I had some mm-hmm. leverage. Um, at this time I'm by myself. I didn't have a manager or anything. So I started kind of doing this rinse repeat of the local DJ in San Diego doing the shitty like early night, early, um, early time slots before the headliners come on, mm-hmm. um, opened for fire beats from Amsterdam, opened for Henry Fong, uh, Klingon from France and, uh, some big DJs. But then I quickly realized I was like, okay, you know, after three or four months of this, rounding up all my friends from Pacific beach or PB for anyone that's from San Diego, like getting people to buy tickets, organizing these pregames where like me and all these dudes and they would just invite as many people as they could to come to support and, you know, be there for me for these local shows where I was not the headliner. I was just like a guy helping the nightclub essentially bring people out 
and helping pack the nightclub. And I would play for an hour before, you know, who everyone was paying a ticket to actually come see play for. Um, then I stopped that and I was like, okay, I need to hone in on music production, seek out opportunities in other markets to create more value for myself as a brand. Um, not just like I'm a local DJ in San Diego. So it was really weird, Danny. Like I had just graduated from the Naval Academy and I had this shift happen where like, I need to do something different. And then a random nightclub in uh, Montana reaches out to me. Uh, it's in a ski town, Whitefish, Montana, where like the Glacier National uh, Park is. And like, hey, we love your music. Um, it was like around the same time I released my first remix ever of all the small things by Blink-182 that went, um, at the time, seemed kind of viral for me and had an opportunity to go play. And that kind of kicked, it kind of lit a fire inside me like, damn, I can like have nightclubs pay for me to come travel into their town and put on a show and do my thing. And, you know, after that, it was like an opportunity came up in Columbus, Ohio, then Cleveland, Ohio. And, and it just, it just kind of stacked. And you, once you build this momentum and social proof, um, then I came back to the, when I was living in San Diego, I was like, I went back to that nightclub where I had been the opener five times, you know, six months prior. I'm like, Hey, look at this music I've recently released. I've just played, you know, five, six shows in the last six months in different markets. Like, give me a shot to headline here now. And um, I was pretty strategic because I, I asked them the, um, the weekend after New Year's Eve, which is st- strategically one of the worst weekends of the year. Like no one really goes out to nightclubs. I'm like, hey, I'll pack that place. I have leverage in San Diego. I know people here. Give me a shot to headline. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, actually, can you headline? Um, it, it was based in San Diego. Like, can you headline in three weeks? We just had someone uh, from Europe or wherever, like out of the country, like bail because their tour basically fell through. I was like, let's do it. I did it. Got that uh, headline. Um, that, what year is this? This is uh, December 2017. Love it. Yeah. So December 2017, had the opportunity to headline at the nightclub where I was, you know, basically a promoter, pseudo promoter DJ, just helping getting people in the door and playing for an hour where a year later, I'm now the guy everybody's coming to see where I've released a bunch of remixes and the place was packed. Um, I have a pretty funny story. If you don't mind me sharing from it, that looking back uh, it's hilarious. So on the opening drop that night um, at basements, there's probably, I don't know how many people there it was at the time. It seemed like a ton. It was, it was a big deal for me. Um, on the first drop I released, or um, I, I played a song um, like a progressive house, high energy remix of the song latch by disclosure. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite drops. The crowd absolutely goes nuts. And right on that first drop, a bunch of confetti flies everywhere and the confetti fell all over my DJ board. And I didn't know what to do. So I started like wiping, you know, the confetti off and I actually flipped a knob on the DJ equipment to make the music actually go in reverse, Danny. Like, <sighs> so the, like the music did not even sound coherent and everyone's kind of like, wait, what the hell's going on? 
this is like 45 seconds into my first big show. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So now I, now I know that when confetti falls on the DJ equipment like that, you, you just blow it off with your mouth. Like you just blow the confetti off and you don't touch anything. Cause it's like, you're going to do something stupid like that. So, um, yeah, man, it's always been like, uh, I just thought I'd share that story. It was kind of funny looking back and a little embarrassing, but I'm willing to share everything. So yeah, just wanted yeah. To out there. <laughs> no, I appreciate but, it. And what were we going to say? Yeah. But re- recovered. And then the rest of the show was great, but, um, yeah, n- didn't panic. Just rolled with the punches. Yeah. How did, how did that feel to you? Like you're, you're recording your first show and you're doing your first huge show. And in the first 45 seconds, everything messes up. Like what is, where does your mind go? And how did you like maintain composure in that moment? Um, it's really hard to describe. I, I don't, I don't really remember. I think I quickly flipped the switch back and I just put on a whole different song and mm. I, you know, within uh, two or three minutes, I had already played four or five different tracks cause I play a lot of songs and I, I think everybody forgot about it quick. And that's the benefit of playing for um, a lot of people that might have a few beverages in them and uh, <laughs> they, they just, they're there to have a good time. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think I just, I just trusted myself. I was like, Hey, I, I've done this a million times, even though it hasn't been on this scale. And I, I, I trusted myself and my instincts and just rolled with it. And it, the, the show ended up going really well. And for the first time ever, I was having people, you know, coming up to me after the show, like wanting to get pictures and stuff. So, um, that was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And it also reminds me of a tweet you had where you said, you know, like this was Tokyo at the first time I played it. I believe it was Tokyo. And this was Tokyo the second time I played it. And it was the first time there was no one there, like a few people. And the second was a packed crowd. So what, I guess, what do you take from that? Just the the fact that one year later you have a huge difference in amount of people, what do you attribute that to? And, and what did that teach you about life? Um, just show up every day, just like you're doing with this podcast, like you're doing with your Twitter, um, get like the idea of, uh, just get on the board, get in that new market, like start that new thing. Um, if I had never played that first show in Tokyo, um, at a nightclub that it's a great nightclub. A lot of great DJs play there. The reality is, um, the train stop, like everybody takes the train when you travel in Tokyo, that's how they go from dinner to home to the nightclub and back. The reality is another nightclub, one Oak Tokyo is right. Like one block closer to the, to the train stop than that one where I just, we didn't really know. <laughs> and, uh, it's just like, that's where everybody goes to the other place. And there's kind of like spill, spill over to that other nightclub. And it is what it is. Um, at the time I was worried because I thought, damn, like, you know, we, we always get an opportunity to come back to another, um, to a market a second time after having proof that it went really well. Well, mm. it's hard to have, it's hard to show proof when, there's visibly like 10 people in the crowd. Like, <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't much there. And, um, it, it's just such a, a, such a lesson where, um, you know, just keep building the brand, like create momentum any way you can by, you know, from that, from that first show in Tokyo to that next one, I had done, you know, a quick, sh- uh, tour in Norway 
where we got great content from that, a great video. I kept putting out music. I put out another like seven or eight remixes between um, each of those shows. That fall, we put out my biggest tour flyer, um, you know, played all over Canada, hit Texas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, ran out to London for a show on a Tuesday night. Um, I mean, it was pretty, that, that was definitely one of the most savage tours. And, you know, when an opportunity came up um, to play in Taipei, Taiwan at a really legit nightclub that basically stemmed from the first Asia tour, just getting that on the board. Um, it's, it's kind of like identifying what people will hold value in and create like kind of have a strategy to build yourself up finding out what the players in your industry really care about. So that, that first show in Tokyo meant a lot to the people that booked me in Taipei, Taiwan and Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Um, and the fact that I play in Singapore and Vietnam, like that meant a lot to those people where it might not mean as much, you know, other parts of the world then, um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's tough to describe, but the, um, that that second show in Tokyo was really like a huge pivotal moment where I was like, damn, this is really um, what I'm meant to do. This is, this is really special that uh, I'm getting a little emotional about it. It's like this many people can, you know, show up to a club, you know, 6,000 miles from where I grew up and be excited to see me. And we all have a great 90 minutes together, just going nuts. And um yeah, it was like right before the pandemic hit. So I'm really thankful that we got that in before before all this. You bring up the pandemic and it is something that I really want to talk to you about because for many reasons, but what did you do, right? Like you're you're making money going to, you're an internationally touring DJ. Like not many people can say that, an internationally touring DJ. And now you can't travel anywhere. Now people can't go out. What does that do to your psyche? At first, it really, it really threw me off, Danny. I was like, um, we had a huge uh, spring college tour planned. Um, a lot of shows in Canada through the South and U.S. And um, another show booked in New York City that I was really excited for. And it all got canceled um, within like a three or five day period. But really, I, I think... It, it was such a blessing because there, the last couple of years um, have honestly been a whirlwind, man. Like hmm. um, put out as much music as possible. Go play every show that comes your way. And I didn't really get um, an opportunity to just kind of step back and like look at life and um, from an, a different frame, another picture and man, this last year has been year like anyone listening is like, dude, what are you talking about? But it's been phenomenal for just my outlook on life. And, you know, going from traveling all the time and getting to see the world. Like, I love that. I love traveling. I love meeting people. I love that energy. Um, you know, a few things I, I really wanted to create something with this, with my brands that, that allowed me to have that personal connection with people again. And 
having that personal connection at shows and people seeing my energy and seeing those shows in person is like, that's the whole key to my success. Like, um, there are a lot of people that make great music. There are a lot of people that make, you know, better music than I've released. The reality is there's hundreds of, there's hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people on Spotify with a million monthly listeners or more that don't tour at all. Um, and like, that's kind of like our competitive advantage. My manager, Dave and I, like we're savage about booking shows. We make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that was like our one thing, uh, <laughs> that really just kept the momentum rolling and, and made our brand different. Um, we don't have a big uh, agency. We're not with, you know, CAA, APA, or any of these big agencies. We don't have a team of agents booking shows for us. It's literally just two guys doing it themselves and reaching out to venues and like making shit happen. But this pandemic really, um, it, it allowed me to look inward, man. I mean, we, we chatted about it when you were a guest on my podcast. It, I I discovered meditation. I got even more into self-introspection and reading. And I'm having a hard time uh, thinking of the words to like really describe it, but I'm having so much more fun. And people, I, I started to say it before, I'm having so much more fun right now doing the same thing every day working out at the same time, meditating at the same time, reading a book for 25, 50 to 50 minutes at the same time, going for a walk, you know, cooking dinner at the same time, just doing the same stuff every day. I'm having more fun with life right now than when I was touring. And people will be like, Mm. that doesn't make sense, but there's, and I think I'm getting better clarity with it as I'm speaking it through with you right now. Um, It's just a different frame of, life, like or whole, looking at life from a whole different frame um, and having appreciation for, you know, time spent with family, reconnecting with old friends, like the idea of going for a walk for 30 minutes just by myself and to like think, think about what I want to do with this brand, with my music. Um, what do I need to do to keep the ball rolling and keep getting better just for 30 minute walk? Like, Jimmy a year and a half ago would be like, dude, what the heck? Like, that's a waste of time. Like, don't even, why would you do that? And um, yeah, man, it's just a whole different outlook on life. I'm, I'm really, really grateful for it. I think, I don't know if I offered anything of sub of substance in that explanation. Maybe um, we can take it in another way, but <laughs> yeah, I, dude, I'm, you, I'm, I'm kind of formulating the thoughts behind it right now. Yeah. You definitely gave a lot of substance to what you're, last year has looked like. And so what was the first step? You're obviously a completely different person now, but what was that first step to make you realize or to change Jimmy of old, let's call it Jimmy 1.0 to now Jimmy Mm. 2.0? What was that first step? The first step was, uh, you know, I think it was meditation, but quickly followed up with was um, gratitude and like just really being thankful for the most simple things ever. And funny enough, I, right around the same time as the pandemic hit, I had rebranded to Rose Drive. I went by a different name before that. And my reason for that, Danny, was to create a brand of more community. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my DJ name to be a name like it was before. I didn't want it to just be about me. I wanted it to be about the experience, 
And what I could offer for people, you know, providing value outside of just making good music and having people come to a show and feel really good. I think in, um, it, it kind of hit me that in my community, the reality is people go to these shows to typically to escape a reality that they might not like. Hmm. I want to be, um, a guiding, you know, I, I, for lack of a better way to say it, like a guiding star in the EDM community of helping people create the life that they really want, where going to a concert or an EDM show or a nightclub on the weekends is in addition to a great life, not an escape from, you know, escape from a life that they're not loving or something like that. And getting to just think about that and brainstorm different ways for a couple months where, um, and I also, I also just took time off from uh, working on music, man. It, I, it was really refreshing. I, I needed to just take a step back and not listen to any dance music for a while. I, mm. I went and listened to other genres of music, see how they made me feel and came back, um, you know, in November, December started like getting back into my music and it was just really good to kind of have a fresh ear and I'll tell you what, man, I haven't been this motivated or inspired to work on music. And like I have, like I am currently in the last couple months um, for the last couple, for a few years. So uh, yeah, there, there's been like a few, a few different steps uh, through the last year and it's, it's hard to put the words to it. I, I'm almost mm-hmm. getting a little frustrated, honestly, but it's yeah. all good, man. You're doing an incredible job. So for that meditation piece, you said the first step was meditation. And mm-hmm. so what happened with that? Did How did you get introduced to meditation? Why were you willing to take that step? And what was your initial practice like? Yeah, I <laughs> I was reading either Tools of Titans or Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. And all these people, like however many people are in this book, Danny, you know, there's a, what, 150 of them. I think 110 or 120 of them are like, meditation is a core, you know, tenant of my daily routine. And I'm like, okay, my buddy Chase Maher has been preaching about meditation. He's one of the most like chill and also really successful people I know. And I was like, all right, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go do some meditation. I'm going to try this. And the first meditation I ever tried was, um, I forget her name, but it's a smile. It's called a smile guided meditation um, by a woman. It's like a 10 minute or 12 minute smile guided meditation. And dude, the first time I did it, I had so many just negative thoughts going through my mind. Like, wow. Um, you know, like what, what, what am I going to do next with uh, DJing? What am I going to do next with music? Like, wh- like the world is in just such a disarray of so much unknown. Right. And mm-hmm. I kind of started to try different guided meditations. I try meditating just by myself, sitting in a chair early in the morning in the dark. And, you know, it really, it kind of sucked for a couple of weeks. I, I didn't make me feel good. I actually felt, I almost kind of felt worse, you know? Wow. And then um, something kind of clicked where I came across a, guided meditation from Mind Valley, Vishen Lakhani's uh, meditation. It was a abundance meditation by Bob Proctor. And 
I've been using that guided meditation from late March, early April until now. It just makes wow. me feel good. It's all about sharing abundant energy with people, being a good friend, being there. And like, it, it basically preaches like the whole idea of like your purpose is to lift others up. And I, I love that, that whole energy. And um, yeah, every time I, I feel a little anxious or just feel like I need to reset or don't really know what to do next in my day. I'll go do the abundance meditation by Bob Proctor on mind Valley. And it's like a whole different mindset and I feel better. And wow. I'm super thankful for, uh, for meditation, man. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. I've never heard of that before and I'm, I'm stoked to check it out. And so you mentioned the meditation was the first thing. The second thing you mentioned was gratitude. And that's really interesting because I've never, thought about gratitude in that way of like, it's its own practice, but really it is. So how did you, how, what was your first steps with gratitude? I, I think, I think I will tie it together, gratitude and affirmations and just, I, I, I think right now I'm realizing how much of a pit of like negative thoughts I was in right when the pandemic hit of, you know, what's going to be next. And I needed to, um, create this ritual of positivity where I was training my mind to think positive, training my mind that, you know, things are going to be okay. And realizing like, Hey, like, um, there's a lot of good things that I've already done. There's a lot of good things that are still going to happen. Identify what I can control and identify what I can't control. And yeah, I think, um, for, with gratitude, it's like you can't simultaneously be in pain and also feel thankful for something. So I always felt like when I was, when I would write out, you know, things I'm grateful for or text a friend, I'm thankful for them or a family member, or just say, Hey, mom, dad, like I'm thankful for you. I would always feel better about it. And in the same process, you're making someone else feel better. So, um, I, I think, uh, creating good energy, on a one-to-one level like that with other people really helps kind of lift me up too. And I was in my effort to feel better and not feel crappy, like in that moment of just like sharing, you know, a moment of time with somebody and sh- expressing my gratitude, I lifted them up and at the same time myself. Yeah. And I like to say this often is like, we can't control when someone gives us a gift but we can control when we give someone else a gift. That's always in our control. And interestingly enough, science has shown or some studies have shown that the same things light up in your brain when you give a gift as when you receive one. Mm. So if you know one's in your control, giving is always in your control, then it's like you can always give yourself a gift by giving someone else a gift. So it's kind of something I've been thinking about. It's something I like. Um, but back to your journey, it's like, okay, you start practicing meditation, you start practicing gratitude. What transpires in your life since then? You know, I, I kind of mentioned the idea of, you know, live shows being this like connection of seeing people in person. And I had this realization of, Hey, I don't know when shows are going to come back, but I have to think of some sort of creative way to, to get back in front of people, to create that connection. And 
I, I couldn't think of a better way than doing a podcast just like you're doing. And dude, it's been, it's done a world of good for my social wellness, my well being. just, you know, talking to people and talking about whatever conversation, seeing how each, each moment in time or each conversation is going to be so unique to that moment based off of, you know, what that person's going through in their life at that time, what they've recently read and then vice versa, you know, what I've read and what I'm currently doing, like each moment in time, each conversation is so unique. Um, and I felt like, you know, there were people, a few things clicked, you know, following you, following people on Twitter. Um, I was like, damn, you know, I feel like I know people on Twitter way better in the two or three months I've been following them than people I've been following on Instagram for five years. And wow. it's, I felt like that was really powerful. So I'm like, okay, I need to, I want to really start sharing my thoughts more and also give a place where people can share their story. And at the same time, allow my audience and followers that maybe their only connection to me is they've listened to my music or they've been to a show, but they don't really know who I am. They don't know, mm. you know, what's in, what's going through Jimmy's mind. What does he like to do? What does he do to, get to this point that he's able to do this. And yeah, I, I wanted to create more of a community in the brand rather than just like this, almost like a, tr not transactional. I don't know if that's like the best way to describe it of, you know, I come out, do a, do a good show. You just have a good time and you forget about me, but more of a deeper connection. It's the difference between a hierarchical relationship. Like I'm above you because I'm performing versus yes. a peer relationship, which is like, you're my equal. I'm your equal. We're all in this together. I might've created this music, but we're all enjoying it together and we're 100%. all one. And that's it's a like, great way of putting it. And it, that's what you're embodying it's, to me, it seems like. And one of the ways in which you did that was when you, you told me you responded, you put something out to people like who would prefer a video message or something like that. And you sent a video message to every single person who yeah. responded to this random poll you did. So talk about why you decided to do that and like what was going through your head to make that a reality? Yeah, uh, I remember it very vividly. I, um, I recently came across um, a friend of mine who's a psychologist um, that had on the podcast, Shannon Connery. She did something called a gratitude project and it kind of inspired me. What she did was she wrote uh, a letter of gratitude to a hundred people for a hundred straight days. And the reality is, I don't have all of my followers addresses. So I put up a poll and I was like, Hey, would you rather, um, you know, receive a video DM from somebody or would you rather receive a letter? What would be more impactful? And everybody that voted on the poll, um, you know, I would, I'd really like a video DM. I forget the exact amount, but you know, 350 or 400 <laughs> something. And it, it was a ton. And what, what kind of inspired me to do it, Danny was like, um, I remember tweeting this the same day or I was like, man, it's kind of crazy how much we take for granted, you know, in the past on a Friday night, you'd be like, okay, I'm going out with my friends. We're going to have some fun, get together, go out, have dinner, have some drinks. And it was just, it was just how it was. Like you did, you yeah. took that for granted and now it's not as much of a thing. So I was sitting on a Friday night at home and I'm like, okay, what this sucks kind of like, I'm not, there's no fun plans for the weekend what can I do to shift this moment and kind of create some sort of connectivity with my followers who, you know, there's a bunch of people that are feeling the same way right now and I can make somebody's day. So 
I put the poll out and as they started coming in, I started just sending people video DMs. Hey, thank you for following me. I appreciate your support. I love to know more about you. You know, if there's anything that you're worried about, really excited about with your life, I want to know more about you. And like pretty much everybody replied in some shape or form, whether it's just like a heart or a thank you, but some people were really taken back. And um, I ended up, you know, messaging a ton of people that night and it was cool. It was really cool to kind of uh, just see how people would react. And um, I think it had a good impact on some people. I think some people needed it in that moment and it was good. It's incredible what you can do when you start using your power for good and, and you're, you have this power of creating incredible music and it's like people look up to you for that. And it's like now a responsibility and a choice. What do you do with that? One thing that makes me think about is Usain Bolt, right? Usain Bolt would go around to every person or a bunch of different college athletes and he at the track, he would just talk to them for a minute or give them a fist bump or give them a wink. And is that is exactly what you're doing, using your power as this creator for the benefit of everyone else and to bring people up. And it's an incredible thing. So with all that being said, um, back to the podcast, right? We talk about this podcast, you're building it. What were the, the motivations other than just trying to get people to find you and, and learn more about you? What were the motivations from your personal perspective of what you were going to gain from the podcast? Yeah, there were, um, even now I, I, um, I think I overthink a bit when it comes to uh, being a guest on a podcast. And, um, there are a few moments where, um, you know, Chase Maher invited me to be on his podcast when he first started a couple years ago. And even though he's one of my closest friends, I was, you know, really hesitant to get on. And I kind of identified this, nervousness or shyness about getting on camera and a recorded conversation. Then it came up again when I was up in Ottawa doing an opening show for Poly D at Algonquin College, uh, like a university up there. And right before I go on stage, someone from the student union is like, hey, Jimmy, can you do a quick interview? Um, And I go and do this quick interview. It's about 10 minutes before I'm about to go on stage in front of a, a packed theater, essentially. And Danny, like this interview was awful. I mean, the, the interviewer did a good job, but I was just like all over the place. I didn't really provide much value. And last year, I really had a shift thinking on those moments when I read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, like the idea of a fixed mindset versus the growth mindset that, you know, I can actually turn this weakness into a strength over time. And I wanted to kind of face that weakness head on, you know, get better at it, be way more comfortable having conversations with people like this. And I I really have like, uh, I I also feel like there's so many people that have great stories to tell, but they don't necessarily have an avenue to tell it all in one long form place. And that was a huge motivation for me to let people in on my platform and, um, you know, let them tell their story. And they're, they're, for, for surprisingly enough, the um, episode that's had the most plays and downloads so far was the one I had with my dad. And there mm-hmm. were like a lot of people um, that have been following me for a while. They were like, man, that was so cool to see the admiration and that connection that you have with your dad. 
And um, I mean, my dad doesn't even have social media. I've had people on with a lot of followers, but for some reason that triggered people to really dive in and um, kind of learn more about that connection that we have and um, the support that he has for my music and the brand. And I'm sure some people were kind of wondering, Hey, what is, is he supportive of uh, someone going after a career kind of um, known for partying and just like having fun. And he is. So um, I, it's cool, man. Like you never really know what's going to resonate with people. It just kind of different conversations just click with different people. I'm, I'm sure you found that too. Like, um, you know, people messaging you about a certain episode that you'd be like, man, I thought you would have really kind of liked this particular one, but you're, this one resonated with you. So it's interesting. What tips do you have for someone interviewing their parent? I think, uh, Ooh, that's such a good question, dude. Um, I think interviewing a parent is like, at, at first it was kind of hard because, you know, you have this alter ego of like, okay, Danny Miranda podcast, I'm going to be the podcast host. And then the way that you talk to your family is probably so different than maybe, you know, you are on a podcast. So kind of being able to blend that familiarity of conversation it kind of a remixing that with the podcast host form and with mm. how familiar you are, you know, maybe talking to them every day or however often that you're talking to your family. And yeah, I think, I think it's really cool. Just like allow them to tell their story. And uh, there, there's a lot of, um, I, I think it's really cool to have people from uh, different generations on a podcast because they have such a different outlook on the world. They didn't have, um, a lot of the social media and different tools that we have, and they have a, just a whole different outlook on life. So um, in terms of actual advice for interviewing a parent or a family member, I think, uh, you know, think of some moments that people can just like relate to. Maybe it'll make mm-hmm. them think of their family and it, it could be questions that maybe people have never asked their parents or something that they could ask and they can kind of listen to that podcast, get ideas um, that they can make a deeper connection with their parents. I love it. And it's something that I've done for my grandparents and and parents. And I encourage everyone to do it because it's a a really beautiful way to, even if you're not going to publish it, even if you're not a podcast host, it's a beautiful way to connect and to have that as an artifact. And technology makes it so easy. If you have an iPhone, just press record, right? It's incredible. So yeah. I want to go. I want to go back to your mindset shift, and I want to talk about specifically working out because you had this tweet that also relates to exactly how I felt about working out, which is before this past year, I worked out and lifted for aesthetics and to get bigger slash look good. The last year, I've worked out, lifted, and ran with the goal of trying to become mentally tougher and more resilient. So talk a little bit about that shift and why exactly you believe that's happened. Yeah, I think uh, it kind of happened last year on my 28th birthday. I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about where I am, but what do I need to do to be in the best shape of my life next June when I turn 29? Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, what do I need to do? What are my weaknesses? And I immediately pointed to cardio. And it was also around the same time that I discovered who Nick Bear is. And I know you're familiar with Nick. It's and the his man. Book, 25 hours a day. And 
basically, um, it was, it, it, this wouldn't have hit me if I hadn't read mindset by Carol Dweck, it would not have, um, I see this big ass dude who looks like a power lifter. I mean, anyone that, if you don't know, Nick bear, look up Nick bear fitness on social media. You're like, dude, this guy's jacked and savage. I'm not as big as Nick necessarily, but you know, I'm six, four, 195 to 200, 205 pounds. I'm not a small guy um, by any means. And I always had this kind of idea that I'm not going to run because I'm a big guy. Like I probably won't be good at it. But then I saw this guy who is just massive and he's like, you know, running seven, eight minute <clears throat> or um, seven mile, eight mile runs at a seven thirty pace, a seven minute pace. I'm like, what the hell is this? And it kind of sparked something in me where I'm like, damn, this guy's doing this. Like, um, I, it, it just, it, it ignited me to be like, dude, you know, damn well, Jimmy, that cardio is a weakness for you. If there's a, if there's a weakness in your fitness repertoire, whatever it's, it's, it's running. So mm-hmm. I went out, um, started running like the first mile to, I, you know, first two, three miles, were absolutely awful, Danny. I started running in the Maryland humidity in July. Um, and over time, dude, it just got better. Um, started running three miles, four miles, five miles, six miles, and then, um, start increasing speed. And I kind of turned it into a little game where I'd be like, okay, I remember, I remember this. It was a Sunday where, um, you know, it was a, a kind of damp and rainy in the fall and I had never run seven miles before. It was, it was a Sunday morning and I used to drive on this road every day to high school, um, past the, past this middle school. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna run to that middle school and back. It's exactly seven miles. I've never done that before. And it was awful, but I made it happen. And after that, dude, I just kind of every 10 days or every two weeks, I started writing these workouts out, whether it was a run or a hybrid workout where I'd be like, yeah, I don't really know if I can finish this when I'm writing this out. So I'm like, okay, the, the pressure is, there's no real pressure. I can, I, I'm either going to finish it or I don't, but Hey, I'm trying something entirely new every 10 days, every couple of weeks where I'm doing a, a tough workout where, you know, <laughs> accelerated, you know, two months later, I, I wrote out a workout where I'm doing six rounds of you know, 100 body weight squats and, uh, walking dumbbell lunges and a few other leg workouts and then a one and a half mile run. So it's like nine mile run with all the leg workout, like into it. It took me like two, two hours and 45 minutes to do it, but I finished it. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of been this evolution. And now I've kind of, um, I think you've seen it too on my Instagram. I've turned my, my big, my, like my following, into an accountability partner kind of with my workouts where I'll get on there and be like, Hey guys, I'm going to do this run or whatnot. They're kind of expecting me to post some stuff for workouts. And if I get on there and, you know, say I'm going to do a workout and I don't do it, I'm basically like lying to however many people are watching that story. So, um, it's great to keep a promise to yourself and like show that you can show up and do workouts that you didn't, you know, think that you're maybe capable of finishing, but it hits a little bit different when in the back of your mind, when you're doing a seven or eight mile run and you already put it on your story 
five miles in, you're kind of thinking like, ah, this sucks. I want to stop. <laughs> and I already told all these people that I was going to do the seven mile run. So it, it forces you to actually finish it, like show proof that you did it. So yeah, I've kind of turned it into this little game and it, it's fun, man. Um, you know, yeah, it's, I, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's made a monotonous, somewhat monotonous life now uh, more fun. I love what you do about bringing accountability into it because I think someone can do this, whether they have 55,000 followers or they have 10,000 or they have 5,000 or 1,000 or 100 or 10 or one person following them. It doesn't matter if you are willing to say, Hey guys, this is what I'm doing. And if you have respect for those people who follow you, whether it's one person or a hundred and you are willing to put yourself out there, then you are able to achieve whatever you say you're going to achieve. And what you did was you made your word, your wand, and you continue to do that. <laughs> there you are saying like, if I, if I'm going to run seven miles, so if I don't like, please hold me accountable. And that is such a powerful place to operate from. So on that topic of inspiration, I know you, yeah. you mentioned Nick bear, like yeah. you looked at Nick bear, who else inspires you in that way? Um, I would say, you know, um, Ross Edgley, I'm a huge fan of his book, the art of resilience, but here's, here's something I wanted to mention real quick, Danny, please. This is what really kicked it off to not hold anything back. I think our natural tendency on social media is to not hold back the good stuff and like what we're really thinking, what we're really working on. And a promoter who has booked me a couple of times, um, for shows over in the UK and Canada, he dude he hit me up with basically like, Hey, Jimmy, you know, you posting your workouts and like your runs and whatnot has totally motivated me to start working out. Well, he sent me a before and after picture. He got really into cycling. He got into lifting where he lost like 30 pounds or, you know, 25, 30 pounds over the course of 12 weeks. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell him what workouts to do. I didn't say, Hey, you know, do this, do this just the pure idea that he was seeing the workouts where a lot of people in my industry, you know, aren't sharing workouts. Like it's more about partying and just um, magnifying, having a good time and illustrate that on social media. Well, you know, this, this particular guy who's a promoter and he's given me so many opportunities where now this has impacted him and he's in a way better mindset. He's in way better shape. He feels more confident talking to other people and, it's developed this connection where he's turned into a good friend of mine and I talk to him all the time and he's letting me know about his progress with uh, the workouts and stuff. But I, you know, you asked like, who's my inspiration, but I think that that is like more of an inspiration than oh, yeah. fitness people. That's like what really sparked this. And, you know, having random people reach out and be like, Hey, I did this workout because you did this. It's like, okay, like, game on. Like I'm not holding anything back now. You know, it's really funny because someone might say, oh, there's a million people posting workouts. What do you need to be one more person posting workouts for? But the truth is that person who you just mentioned, that promoter might not follow any people who do workouts on a consistent basis. And you're as you as the messenger might be the first time that he came across workouts or you might be the final step or something to inspire him where he really connects with you and knows who you are. So I think that's such an important point. And like the idea that just because 
someone else is doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it either. Just because there's a million podcasts doesn't mean that your voice isn't valuable in some way as well. Dude, I could not agree with that more. Like there, there are so many intangibles that people overlook. Like, okay, there's a ton of people being podcasters. Well, there's not anyone like Danny Miranda. There's no one like Jimmy Grant. We have a whole different worldview. And I was talking about this with Dan Go, and I know you've had Dan on your podcast. And he's talking about how like building your brand and building a business is an art. It's who you are. So it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what music other people are making. It doesn't matter what other podcasts are talking about and who the guests are. Like you have we all have our own unique ability, our own outlook on life that we provide our own unique value. So I love what you said. It's it's everything, man. I appreciate that. And so finally before we wrap this up, what is success to you? Um, I would say for me, success is like, you know, wake up every day, absolutely stoked on life to do what it is you want to do. And um, it's really weird how I feel more stoked to wake up now um, than maybe when I was touring. But um, yeah, that, that's what I really want people to realize. Like, hey, look, there's no single blueprint of success. And just because your friends from high school or your family did this growing up, like, you can do your own unique thing and and explore what's actually possible and actually go do what you want to do, man. Like do what excites you. The best feeling to me is going to bed, being like, I am freaking stoked for tomorrow, Monday through Sunday. That's the best. That's success to me. Every day is Saturday. I love it, man. You are an absolute legend. Thank you for joining me today. Where can people find you and your music if they'd like and your podcast, if they'd like more from Jimmy or Rose Drive. Yeah. Um, yeah. My name's Jimmy, <laughs> but, uh, but go by Rose Drive on um, all social media, Instagram and Twitter. I'm most active there. My music, uh, Rose Drive on Spotify. I post one hour mixes on SoundCloud, which is what Danny was listening to, I think, before this. And oh, yeah. if you would like to check out my podcast, I have a uh, short eight minute, uh, you know, about me story type thing that you could check out. That's on Spotify, the art of you on Spotify, Apple podcasts. And um, Danny's been on my podcast um, optimism compounded episode. And Danny brought a ton of great conversation and value. So I highly suggest checking that one out. Well, thank you for your time. You're an absolute legend, a living legend. And I appreciate you so much, man. I can't wait until I can finally attend a Rose Drive concert because I know it's going to come sometime soon in the next, let's hope, three years. All right, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. We'll make it happen. Thank you, Danny. Hello, beautiful people. That was my conversation with Jimmy Grant. If you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. Shoot me a message. Shoot me a DM or or tweet, whatever it may be. I'm looking forward to hearing from you if you got to this part of the episode. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening until the final moments. I truly appreciate you, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.